One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Hello there and welcome to a Bank Holiday Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast Four days out from the start of a new Premier League season Hello there Ken Hey Owen, how are you? I'm good, can you believe, can you believe it was only this time last year That people were laughing at the fact that Chelsea had paid around £30 million to bring David Luiz back to the club yeah. Given the fact they'd sold him to Paris Saint-Germain for £50 million two years earlier And the way the transfer market has gone in the last 12 months I put it to you Ken Erdy, David Luiz is number one fan mm that that deal was the greatest in Premier League history. It's <laughs> <laughs> certainly not a bad one. Yeah, it worked out well for Chelsea, all right. Mm, Luis, da- you go on. Sorry, David Luiz is, is currently the most popular player, most popular defender in fantasy Premier League. Already? Yeah, I was looking at this soon. I was, I mean, do I make a fantasy football team? Yes. Do I lose interest in it immediately after the first game? Yes, I do. But do I make one? Yes. And uh, yeah, so Luiz was the most popular, most selected defender by by quite a distance actually he wasn't like the top scoring defender last year he's just the I suppose he's the one that people like most do you get bonus points in fantasy football for insouciance skin? Uh, you don't well you should because there was a moment a yesterday to, to uh, measure that well there was a very obvious moment yesterday again. it should have got him a few extra points big looping ball sent over his head for Welbeck to chase I don't know if you remember this oh, yes. Luis is running at speed facing his own goals big striker quick striker chasing him down the ball bouncing dangerously in front of him so what does he do put he, it Put it back to his own goalkeeper, maybe? Put him under pressure, pass the book to him? No. Concede a corner by sticking into Rosette? No, no, no. He calmly kicks the ball backwards over his own head and that of Welbeck. Welbeck then has to turn on his heels thinking, oh, God, now I have to go and chase Louise back up the field. Always embarrassing for a striker to have to chase a defender back out of his own box. But no, as the ball comes down, Louise facing away from his own goals, remember, up the field, nonchalantly backheaders it back over Welbeck again and safely into the arms of Courtois. He's got something about him, Ken. That's a, I tell you something about the class of the lad. Yeah. That he's able to pull that kind of thing up. Uh, the backheader was a uh, very risky piece of defense. Oh, I mean, it was completely unnecessary. <laughs> it was suicidally <laughs> stupid piece of defending, but it all worked out, so yeah. no harm done. We'll talk Arsenal Chelsea with Jonathan Wilson and John Bruin 
on today's show. And we're going to go big, very big on the new Premier League season this Wednesday night. A reminder that it's our Premier League night with Cadbury in Dublin. That show will be available to listen to for all on Thursday. And we've got one more small batch of tickets, which we will release tomorrow. So as always, World Service members will get the heads up on ticket release first of all that will be tomorrow Robbie Fowler X5 Sads Niall Quinn Jason McAteer Shay Given they're going to be our amazing guests with thanks to Cadbury official snack partner of the Premier League do you want to report a bit of sport Ken? yeah oh, why not? Uh, who do you think the most popular players are in the fantasy football and I mean I think we're, gonna, we're not going to devote a huge amount of time to talking about them I just think it's interesting to see who people choose and obviously this isn't just oh I, I think X is the best player but obviously I think X is the best player at that price so, you know, without without knowing the prices of all the players, I suppose it's hard for you to say. Yeah, but who do you think the most popular goalkeeper is in terms of percentage of teams that have selected this? Percentage of managers who have selected this goalkeeper. He leads... Courtois. 20, he's second on 18%. The Jake. leader has 29 I know I'm going with the two goalkeepers I saw yesterday. Maybe I've forgotten the other 18. Petr Cech? Petr Cech Owen uh, has been chosen by only 5.4% of teams. David De Gea, 29. He's the... Uh, He's the top man as far as people are concerned. We've already said David Luiz is the top defender. Midfielders, he leads with 37%. Second place, 24.9. So this guy is way out in front. Well, well you see, what, how did it, Eden Hazard? Now Eden Hazard's got a broken ankle, so not. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's still still quite a number of teams yeah. have picked him, but I'm not sure how closely they've been following the injury news. Yeah, not about as closely as I have by the looks of things. I was wondering why there was no shock headlines yesterday about Eden Hazard drop for this big game <laughs> in preseason. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, we skip the striker because I think I know the main striker is going to be. Oh, really? Yeah, Harry Kane. Oh, Harry Kane, second down. The leader on a runaway 48% is someone other than Harry Kane. Who could it possibly be? Aguero. Aguero. Aguero is 9.7. He's way down. Not He's Lukaku. behind. More teams have been taken. Yes, Lukaku on. Yes, Lukaku, 48.4%. People think he is going to stomp on the Premier League. New signing sometimes, I think, I don't know, this is very anecdotal, but I think when you're picking a fantasy league team, you often think, oh, well, this guy, he scored a lot of goals for another team. Yeah. He's going to this, this bigger team. Yeah. The world is his oyster. Yes. And I think that sometimes informs. I mean, Lukaku will probably score quite a few goals, so maybe it's not the worst. Well, um, Lukaku has been the top scorer over the last five years, apart from Aguero, I think, and, and was the top scorer for most of the last season until Harry Kane scored, kept scoring four and five goals in the last few matches, if you remember. Mm. Harry Kane went through a spell of quite intense goal scoring form. <laughs> um, uh, the top. Pogba is another Manchester United player? Pogba is only the fourth most popular midfielder, uh, Owen. Go on then. It is. Come on, you should get this. The top scoring midfielder by a mile in the Premier League. Oh, Deli Ali? Deli Ali, young. Deli Ali, people think he's going to do it all over again. 37% of teams choose Deli Ali. He's a player you can't be without. Anyway, that's probably the last we'll speak about fantasy football this season. Uh, just You're welcome, fantasy football fans. I do like uh, seeing which uh, who are the yeah. players that people like. Anyway, um, where are we... Oh, yes, Holland have won the uh, 2017 Women's Euro, uh, beating Denmark 4-2 in the final. This brings to an end a run of five five wins in a row for Germany. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting how this... It seems as though the this may now be an inflection point, I mean, in terms of the um, general interest in um, women's international tournament. Um 
oh, you can see, uh, okay, when you look at uh, women's football, particularly in Europe, you can see that it's, cl I mean, Germany obviously are completely dominant, um, which is probably a function of size, uh, uh, population size compared to the other countries that are also uh, strong, which are, you know, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, um, Netherlands, this type of area of Europe. Um, but uh, the TV shares for for these matches in Holland were like sixty percent, which is n not not too far off, you know, what the, the kind of number of the percentage of Dutch people who watched the uh, World Cup final in twenty ten. Uh, you know, when they were playing against Spain and Johannesburg. Yeah. Uh, also, the prize money has gone up to 8 million euros from 2.2 million um, in the uh, in the last tournament in 2013. So a really rapid growth. Um, in England, I think they were getting like 11% of a share. And the, the matches were on Channel 4. They made it to the semifinals and played pretty well. Um, uh, so it's still a little bit lagging behind sort of the figures that you see in places like uh, Denmark, well, Denmark and Holland who were in the final. Um, but uh, it seems to be growing at an almost exponential rate uh, from the last time that it was on. Let's talk about ABBA again. I want to hear about this controversial new penalty mm. shootout system that was brought in yesterday. Well, Chelsea obviously made a complete mess of their penalties uh, yesterday. Um <laughs> the this, the the very rapid sequence in which Courtois got up, placed the ball, and in a rush blasted it, you know, into the stands, which were quite a long way away from the goal, um, was it was just an amazing. What are you doing? Calm down, wait, calm. Let's think about what we're doing here and let's execute. Uh, it was it was ridiculous. Afterwards, Gary Cahill is talking about the uh, ABBA format. First impression, I'm not a fan. We were a couple of goals down after one penalty. So mentally, that's different from when you've got one, 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 one. I went, and then obviously we were 2-1 or 3-1 down, and mentally, it's different. So people hadn't seen this. It's essentially like they've, they've changed it now, and it's essentially like a tennis tiebreak. So mm. one, where one person serves and one person serves twice. So you take the first penalty. Mm. In yesterday's case... It was Gary Cahill, Gary Cahill I think, who nailed it in. Then Arsenal take two penalties... And then it's two, 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 two. So it's to stop. There's an idea that you get an advantage by taking the first penalty when you can put all the pressure onto the other team, particularly as it gets to those later penalties, I guess. But there is a there's a pressure that I didn't realize was such a big deal until suddenly the authorities have <laughs> made a call that this needs to be changed. I think most people are happy enough with penalty shootouts now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know exactly. I suppose it does it does sort of equalize things a little bit around it, it you know, in the sense that. The team that goes first has always had an advantage, and this way it sort of means you're not always going first. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. I wonder how much of an advantage it actually is, though. I don't think it really makes much difference. The secret is to kick the ball into the goal. Yeah. I mean, I think the big difference uh, maybe is, is to do with the goalkeepers, in a sense, that if you're kind of facing two penalties in a row as opposed to having to always take a break in between. Um, Maybe if you save the first one, I mean, you know, none this yesterday. happened. They, they just Chelsea just missing their penalties. Yeah. You know, I mean, Morata hit the post. Um, Cahill, or rather Courtois, for some reason takes their was it the second penalty, and just blasted it over ridiculously. Um, and then you had this debate between Stephen Jarrett and Glenn Hoddle talking about, oh no, no, don't think, nah, don't like it. It's just the same. It's the same. It's, it's exactly the same. Just get out there. Score the penalties. If you miss the penalties, you're going to be under pressure. You know? People were giving out that it's confusing to watch, that you're looking at it going, 
Oh, wait, hang on a second. If they... Who's second? How many penalties now? Who's next? What's going on here? We don't like change. Ah! Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, we don't like change. You don't think it's a, a big problem? I don't think it's a big, a big I don't think there was a need to make the change. And if the change is in, I don't think the change is going to make that much of a difference necessarily. Courtois' penalty was... It was a funny decision for him to take one against mm. one of the only goal, one of the maybe three goalkeepers in the world who n- would know what he's about to do with a penalty. <laughs> Petr Cech was talking after and said, oh yeah, we used to take penalties on each other all the time, obviously, yeah. when we were both together at Chelsea. And I knew exactly where he wanted to go. Yeah. So I went there. And I think he might have changed his mind at the last second then and tried to put it somewhere else. Oh, right. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Cech thinks might have happened. In fairness, Cech was asked about Courtois' penalty and had to say something, and that's what he came out with. But... It was pretty. It did ram home the fact that, hang on a second, this goalkeeper, nobody's seen Courtois take penalties yeah. by and large, except this except guy standing him. in front of him, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously shouldn't have got to that stage. Or, or, I mean, Chelsea did seem to be in control. Then Pedro got sent off for this um, foul, which seemed to be more surprising to people than I thought it was, to be fair, when he when he got the red card. When he, I mean, it was, it's exactly the kind of tackle that you should be trying to discourage with red cards. Oh, yeah, a tackle from behind, raking down a guy's Achilles. It's, it's really crazy. it's really dangerous, yeah. you know? I mean, just because there wasn't a great deal of power in it from Pedro. Or he's not that type of player, Ken. Well, I mean, he, he, he he's not, really. He's in, in terms of, I haven't seen Pedro commit many spectacular acts of violence on the field, but that was one of them. And... Yeah, you know, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're Pedro, a generally inoffensive player who who, you know, usually plays the game the right way. I mean, I can't remember ever really having an issue with his play, you know, dangerous play from him before. But it was dangerous. It was right in front of the referee, and it's it just seemed logical. Of course, it's right. I assumed it was a kind of tackle that that should be red. He's going to book him here, hmm. and actually, then I was quite pleased when he gave him the red card. I can only assume that there was. A bit of confusion about it, a bit of surprise about it because it was a player who, joking aside, it is a great cliche, not that type of player, but it's not a guy who is snarling midfield presence going around throwing in that tackle. No. Whereas if it is, you're, you're nearly ready for it if it is that kind of a player and you're ready for the red to come out. Yeah. But it just kind of seemed as though people were taken a bit by surprise. What's not the tackle? I mean, they, en- they ended up uh, letting him go from the um, from the set piece, from the free kick that Pedro gave away. And that was kind of, uh, you know, and, and, and until then they had seemed more or less in control of what was happening. I, I wasn't impressed with Arsenal's um, efforts to kind of, because they were very much on the front foot, Arsenal in the second half. I mean, Chelsea were kind of saying, okay, well, we're winning now, so let's see what you can do. And the answer was not a lot. You know, there was almost a, Walcott created a, a chance almost randomly at one point by kind of a, a, a strange diagonal ball into the box, which nearly resulted in a chance. But apart from that, there was not a lot going on. There wasn't much integration really between, you know, you saw some of the some of the wing play that Arsenal had. The ball comes to Walcott and he sort of, just Walcott and Bayerin not really working together, not sort of both running at the same time. So they're both, they're almost kind of standing next to each other, you know, as opposed to one sort of moving forward while the other comes back. There wasn't really that kind of um, integration there. You, you're looking at it thinking, is this really still what Arsenal? And then, and then it sort of begins to seep back into your head. Oh, of course, Arsene Finger is still the manager here. There was that whole thing where people were saying, this can't go, this just can't go on. I can't take any more of this. And then <laughs> here we are. So, I don't. I don't feel as though Lacazette. I mean, we can't say on baseball game. He did hit the post, but I, I don't see him as a player who's going to change is it too, patterns. Is it too early to start worrying about the other stuff you're talking about there, though? Because that's just cohesion. That's what comes with a few games. It may be. Maybe Wenger tends to get judged after one game in the Premier League these days. So we yeah, probably at least let, let him have that opening game. 
they're up on Friday night, aren't they? I mean, so. they, they won the they won the bloody game. They've got they've got the trophy. They they celebrated with the trophy. Um, Giroud got the the winning penalty. Came on as a late substitute. Um, I should mention actually that Gary Cahill had had said uh, the back of the program was interesting today. Did you see it? No. You know they paint they print the names the squads on the back of the program. But the and basically so there's the Arsenal squad, Chelsea squad, and the Arsenal squad is like twice as long. <laughs> right. There was seventeen more players in the Arsenal squad than in the Chelsea squad for this game. So Cahill is kind of making this point. And we're gonna to talk to Jonathan uh, yeah. Wilson and John Bruin about kind of the oddly short situation Chelsea have left themselves in. Quite you know, right at the start of the season, they've kind of let players go or told players they're not they're not gonna be playing. And we haven't really seen um, much uh, much come in. They don't look as though they're in a stronger position. In fact, very much the very much weaker. Yeah, it's a shocker of an off season so far. So uh, it's, it's not over yet, uh, but but uh, they're going to have to make something happen. And even Gary, even Gary Cahill, your new club captain, is is saying this sort of stuff. He's not usually the kind of guy who's very outspoken. I think about these type of political issues. Um, but Giroud, uh, obviously, running down his contract. I mean, people were there, there was expectation that Everton would be looking for him. That doesn't seem to have happened. Giroud is just saying it's up to the manager to decide. I'm here to do my best as always. Give my best for the team. Always at the aim of winning the Premier League. I feel good. I'm an Arsenal player. I have two years on my contract at least. I'm really focused. Um, I don't know if he's just going to be another one of these letting the contract run down. I mean, Wenger was saying just recently, we were talking about it, that he thinks this is going to be more of a trend. The players are going to allow their contracts to run down and move for free. Mm -hmm. Although you do have to wonder what the agents are going to have to say about that. You know, given, given that it's so profitable for them, to move the players around for, and the higher the transfer fees, the more profitable. Who really, as an agent, is going to be advising his player to, oh, just sit tight, you know, just, just, uh, you know, I, I'm not interested in in uh, transfer fee commission. You know, that's not what motivates me as an agent. I'm not, I'm not in this game to make money. You know what I mean? I'm just in this game to try and keep players like you happy. Um, I'm sure the agents will find a way again to make it work if it's. Salary based, if, if it's only commission off the salary they're going to make. Um, but we, we're speaking about Arsenal maybe lacking a little cohesion at this point in the uh, season. What about Liverpool, Alan? Mm -hmm. 50,000, 51,000 Reds at the Aviva Stadium, Dublin. Dublin is an LFC city, said Jurgen Klopp. I think there's nothing more guaranteed to really annoy supporters of the League of Ireland than the sight of the heaving Aviva Stadium. With fifty thousand people all wearing red New Balance kits, uh, singing "You'll Never Walk Alone," for packing the stadium to the rafters for a game, a friendly fake match between Liverpool and Athletic Bilbao, would they turn up to watch the Republic of Ireland? No. But what does this tell us? It tells us that you know stuff that people follow on TV is actually more important than our republic. Uh, <laughs> you know, you might think that uh, the Republic of Ireland, you know, the men in 1916, uh, the tricolour, you know, all the all those graves up at Glasnevin Cemetery, that that really should be uh, what people are interested in, or that that should be what they put first. It's not. Uh, that's not the way the world is anymore. Uh, and these uh, these sort of international television brands actually mean more to people than uh, these sort of more traditional ideas of you know patriotism and getting behind the, the
the country. It's or hard, at least it's, it's hard to get all that into an app, Ken. It is. The, all the patriotism and so on. Um, so, so that's just what's that's just kind of a reflection of, of what's happening in the world. Um, but Klopp was not hugely impressed by the performance of the team, and as the as the Liverpool kind of struggled a bit in the first half, and the atmosphere at the Aviva Stadium all, all went a little bit Aviva Stadium, we got to hear uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, doing some of the high level coaching for which he gets paid the big books. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's if you're wondering what Jurgen Klopp is saying all those times when you see him uh, uh, gesticulating on the sideline. Generally, he's swearing at the team and urging them to play play a bit better, play football. Explaining what it is they're supposed to be doing out there. Um, yes, uh, they did in, in the end win uh, 3-1. I should have mentioned that among the visitors or for this game with the boys from the Anfield Rap podcast. We spoke to those lovely fellas last week on the on the World Service. A bit of a football podcast off there, so if you want to listen, get on to secondcaptains.com for details on how to become a member. Um, Klopp uh, then was saying that he's not... Uh, that, I mean, the, again, Liverpool are another team where people are looking in, what are, what are you actually going to do? Where are you going to be when, this, when the transfer deadline stops uh, or, or uh, transfer deadline happens I suppose transfer window closes mm. and uh, you know the idea was Virgil van Dijk and obviously that kind of blew up and they had to apologise but then it was we're obviously still trying to sign Virgil van Dijk he's made it clear he no longer wants to play for Southampton this is what you hear from Southampton they're, they're a bit annoyed with his attitude but they don't want to sell him to Liverpool they would rather sell him to somebody else and it does look as though there are one or two other teams in the Premier League who could do with a player like this. I mean, you think of Chelsea and Manchester City, mm. uh, both of whom you would imagine have more money to spend even than Liverpool. Um, Klopp, however, is, is saying uh, he's trying to... I mean, is this a man who really believes what he's saying or just a man who's trying desperately to to sort of be positive? Um, look out there and tell me five that would make us stronger. Five, then you win a prize. This is five central defenders. We have four. I don't think we need more. In this moment, I'm fine. We're open until August 31st. We can't force things. We never get a centre back just because. Um, so I don't know. Do you think he's happy to go with the four he's got? I think if they do, it's it's unlikely that things are really going to improve this season. You know, I mean, why why would they be better? You know, they might be a little bit better, but it's it seems that you're going to have to actually bring in some other, you know, yeah. players. It's interesting how different that is to the Conte approach. Klopp is trying to put a brave face on it. Mm. Antonio Conte has made no attempt to put a brave face on the lack of signings at Chelsea. Uh. And it's only the only way he tries to in any way diffuse the situation is to refuse to answer questions on it, as he did after the game yesterday. He didn't really diffuse much. No, and I don't know if that is a way of diffusing it. but it's Or just feels... a passive-aggressive way of <laughs> yeah. saying how annoyed you are to your board. I mean, yeah. um, but he is trying to... I mean, he sounds, uh, at least for now, as though he's he's... He's prepared to adopt a phlegmatic attitude. You know, if the if they if we manage to sign these players, great. And if we don't, then no matter, we go again, right? But let's see how that how that uh, unflappable attitude stands up to the rumors that are currently circulating. And it's always hard to say with these things, you know, whether they're real or whether they're just fake news. But 
some of the fake news suggesting that I mean wh what we do what we know in in terms of real definite news that uh, Barcelona have have sold Neymar to uh, Paris Saint Germain uh, and have got two hundred twenty two million euros worth of transfer fee plus whatever other money they had plus gaping holes all over the uh, squad that desperately need to be reinforced plus maybe a ge a general and an utter desperation uh, from the board you know kind of for political reasons i mean these this is a board that's ha that has just been kind of humiliated by what's happened with neymar um something they weren't planning on happening happening one of their key players for the future just ripped away from them nothing they can do about it and a lot of angry supporters going. You've completely let things stagnate at this club. You you don't you haven't known what you've been doing for a while. So the combination of all these factors make it likely you would expect that Barcelona are going to buy a couple of big players over the next uh, few weeks. Sid Lowe had an interesting piece in the Guardian where he was saying, "Wait, don't act fast. Don't don't rush out to the market with your you know waving your two hundred twenty two million uh euros saying we need to buy it doesn't matter who we just we're desperate we need we need to sign players wait think think then act uh i, I mean i don't know if Barcelona are going to listen to that <laughs> i don't know if anyone's in the mood for thinking so what happens if um as the as various possibly fake news but you know everybody thought neymar when, when the Neymar thing was kind of published in the middle of july that you know the first person i can't remember the name of the journalist now who first broke that story um, but it was kind of nah, nah. You know, nah, this isn't really going to Neymar. Wouldn't actually. He's not. He's not actually going to do that. You know. Uh, but it, that was completely true. It was a well-sourced story. So the story is suggesting that the Barcelona have already agreed with Coutinho the the terms of the deal, uh, and that Liverpool are going to sell because Tom Werner, there, the kind of Ameri the, the top American in the hierarchy beneath John Henry has gone, yeah, okay. Mm. Now, that would be an interesting one of, mm. of your... That would be an interesting test of Klopp's positive attitude. Uh, I mean, we, we mentioned we were talking to the guys from the Anfield rap uh, there was that the Liverpool CEO, Peter Moore, had been tweeting, apparently because he, he was getting so much abuse on Twitter from fans. He were, well, why haven't we signed anyone? And uh, he says, I'd just like to respectfully reiterate that signing players is not my job. Uh, it's a, <laughs> that's uh, that's Michael Edwards' uh, department and Jurgen Klopp. They they you know their teams sort of work together in that, and you know it's not it doesn't fall. They my may not be on Twitter, so I'm not sure if I can add them here. But just you know them anyway. Go search for them. Yeah, <laughs> it's de it definitely doesn't fall within my remit. And if that's the case, it definitely doesn't fall within Tom Werner's remit either. He would be going over everyone's head and saying, actually, that's a crazy amount of money for this guy. We'll take it. Mm -hmm. You have him. Uh, and I'm sure our, our, our very, very competent guys that we have working in transfers will find the appropriate replacement that our fans will be delighted with. So that would be interesting to see if he, yeah. if Klopp can keep the good move going. But the other players Barcelona are being linked with are Hazard. I mean, even Chelsea could be in a situation where they're getting bullied here. Um, Hazard uh, and Usman Dembele, the uh, Borussia Dortmund winger um, who it's going to be nobody knows yet that's the end of today's Report on Sport Kung Fu kick, a fan, but...
desert. I care not one jot about his supreme talent. He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter. Jonathan Wilson and John Bruin ready to talk about yesterday first of all Jonathan Chelsea looking pretty sloppy really losing a lead getting a man sent off afterwards Conte refusing to answer questions about whether or not he's happy with the squad kind of made the point that I've, I've already answered all this you all know my feelings on this at the moment the Premier League, Premier League champions seem very stressed out considering their title defence starts next week yeah and I, I mean you can always read too much in these things but I thought it was interesting he turned up in the tracksuit you know, Conte last season always wore you know, the, the sharp suit. And it was reminiscent of two years ago when Mourinho turned up in uh, tracksuit bottoms and a baggy T-shirt. As if to say, you know, Mourinho very clearly hadn't shaved for three or four days. And you sort of thought he's making a point here that he's not that bothered about this game. He's written it off. Also against Arsenal, they also lost. So I, mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a meltdown like there was two years ago. But things aren't right there. Um, and I thought, even before they took the lead, Chelsea, I, I thought they were sort of sloppy. I, I you know... You looked at the two lines before kickoff, and you thought, "Well, Chelsea got a stronger team." There's so many players missing from this Arsenal side. You know, no Koscielny, no Özil, no Sanchez. But then, you know, Arsenal was with the better side for really apart from sort of ten, fifteen minutes after half time. They were the better team throughout. Fully deserved to win. Probably should have won before penalties. And, and then that press conference, as you say, was very strange. It's sort of weird defensive. I mean, if managers repeatedly, you know, if they always refuse to answer questions they've, they've already answered. <laughs> There'd never be a press conference, you know, because we always ask the same questions over and over again. And you have to expect in the summer when there's been constant rumblings about Conte's dissatisfaction about signings and when signings haven't come in, when Morata was only on the bench, when Rudiger was only on the bench, when you know, Chelsea started without any new players, plus with Azar injured, plus with Costa ostracised. Of course, that's the issue. Of course, there are going to be questions about that. So the fact he hadn't even prepared sort of a, a dead answer to that seemed disturbing. But, you know, he's kind of, has he been the architect of his own downfall to an extent here, Jonathan? Because, I mean, a lot of the situation that Chelsea have been faced with this season has resulted, has flowed from the fact that uh, Antonio Conte sent Diego Costa a text message saying, you know, you're gone. You're not, you're not going to play here again. And Costa then, you know, recounted the story to the world. So everybody knew this. And, it, it sort of put them in a difficult uh, position to begin with. I mean, it seemed a strange way to, to, to begin negotiation of the replacement of one of the most uh, important players in your team. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, and particularly given that his most, most likely destination is Atletico, who can't sign any players till January. Yeah. So Costa's in this sort of limbo. So why would you not keep Costa around just, you know, just in case, you know, if Murata gets injured, if Fatshuayi is injured, is it not better to have a half-interested Costa you know, bashing his way about rather than having you know, nobody? Um, so, I mean, I was, I was sort of thinking about that yesterday. Why, why would he have done that? Was, was that just sort of a really clumsy bit of diplomacy? Was he just sort of sick of Costa? I wonder if it was almost a force of club sound to say, look, there is no way back here. This is a bridge that can't be unburned. Yeah, I mean, he, the thing is that Costa did play pretty well last season. He's one of the main reasons why they won the league, particularly with this. Well, he, he first... did till January. I mean, he, he clearly faded from January onwards. If you look at, yeah, I think three quarters of his goals came before January. So, yeah, it was a definite drop off from Costa when he didn't get the move in January. So, yeah. I can understand why Conte would be frustrated with him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that 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 accepted. I mean, I, I think he did contribute a lot though over over the length of the season. You know, he was one of the reasons why they won it. I wonder, John. 
if I can bring you in here, um, if you think also they maybe gave up Matic a little bit too easily. Mm. I mean, this is a guy who had been kind of the, the anchor player in their midfield uh, for four years. And, uh, you know, or five, well, hang on, 2014, I think, is when he, is when he rejoined. Is that, is that correct? Um, so he's, he's been there. He's won the title there uh, twice. Um, you know, not, not exactly a name to conjure with. I mean, I don't know how he does shirt sales-wise, but an important player on the field. And they've not only given him up for what in the current market seems like uh, an average enough kind of price, but they've also given him to Jose Mourinho. Yeah, yeah, and and the person that seemed most confused by this would would appear to be Antonio Conte, judging by what he said on Friday. You know, which was pretty much, you know, I, I don't know why he was sold. Um, yes, I mean, the th- I mean, the, the, one point of view that I heard on why he, they've they've got rid of him is that because you play that um, uh, three four three formation, Masic is a bit immobile to play as one of the two in central midfield, so that Bakayoko comes in. And he's going to be much more mobile for that position alongside Kansai. Now, that's fine, but Bakayoko isn't really fit to play at the moment. And they've also, as you said, Ken, sold him to a rival where he's going to play in probably a three-man midfield and be the ideal player to release Paul Pogba, Ander Herrera, all the rest of it. Um, We don't see that too often, do we, where clubs selling players to their rivals? And yet Chelsea have gone and done it and haven't really made much resistance to, to selling the player. You know, compare that to uh, Tottenham's, you know, absolutely, um, you know, they absolutely refused to sell Eric Dyer, who I think was the player that Jose Mourinho wanted most of all. Yet Chelsea just sort of waved through the signing. And, you know, in these uh, financial craziness times, 40 million seems, you know, cheap at the price. What do you make of Arsenal, John? Signs of any progress over the summer? Well, I, I think we've seen Arsenal win the, the Community Shield before. Um, so I, I think um, the, the player that stood out for me is, uh, and Jonathan will know how to pronounce this, this chap's name, but Kolasinac, uh, the left back, the left wing back. How would you, um, how would you, say, how would you say it, Jonathan? Well, I was, I'm now confused by this because I, I thought, because he's obviously a Bosnian, a Bosnian Montenegrin heritage, which would mean it's Kolasinac. Right. And then I saw a video of him saying, oh, no, I was born in Germany, so I've gone with the German pronunciation, Kolasinac. But then Arsene Wenger corrected some of his pronunciation in the press conference yesterday and insisted it was Kolasinac. So I have absolutely no idea. What did you like uh, about uh, Sayad then, John? Well, Sayad, yeah, good old Sayad. Um, well, he looked like the type of player that I can't remember Arsenal having a player like that. You know, certainly not in the last 15 years. You know, not since that, and I suppose the... Um, you know, George Graham's defence slowly phased itself out in Arsene Wenger's first years. But he's big, he's strong. Um, uh, you know, the, the play reminded me of, I don't, I don't know if you recall this play, was Hans-Peter Briegel that used to play for Germany at the you know, 82, 86 World Cup. The former... Uh, Sox, he was a decathlete, wasn't he? He was, he was kind of a, an all-round, um, uh, old-school German-style Olympic power athlete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a sort of... You know, you could you could see, um, you know, him 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 having a set to with Arnold Schwarzenegger in a film or something like that. Is that type of build and you know, <laughs> Saeed, Let's call him that. Yeah, uh, just just looked like he, you know, 
a player that it's type of thrust that Arsenal don't have. Left back has been a problem position for them for the, for the past few years. You know, Monreal, Kieran Gibbs. You know, they're okay players, but they've got someone there that, and actually, who seems to fit that that three four three formation that Arsene Wenger's playing there. So, you know, there are some good signs there, and. Um, if you, I suppose you compare their, the signings that they, they've made, you know, compared Lacazette to Morata or whatever, you'd have to say that Arsenal fans have more to uh, to feel good about with their new signing, their new striker, than, oh, you, than, than maybe Chelsea did. Oh, you think so, really? Uh, I've just, I, do you mean just on the basis of yes? I mean, obviously Morata didn't have a great... Uh, what, he came on out with 12 minutes ago or so, missed a chance and then missed a the penalty, so couldn't really go much worse. But generally speaking, do you feel that... You feel that uh, You'd be happier with Lacazette than Avram Morata. Well, I mean, there's that there's that question against Lacazette. I mean, I think um, certain other clubs have made it clear that you know he's not a player that was ever on their radar. Manchester United is the club. You, is the club you mean, John? The, this this was something that emerged on their US tour that uh, somebody at Manchester United was quoted <laughs> as saying, somebody was quoted as saying he's got no stamina. Uh, he doesn't. He's not a big game player, and he can't really finish either. So, nah. Wonder who that was, yeah. Um, yeah, he, and, but, you know, he might be a player that, that fits Arsenal. He, may, he might be a player that fits Arsenal. Morata, uh, you know, the player that, as was discussed previously, the player Chelsea needs to replace is Diego Costa. And Morata is not that type of player. And, the, um, you know, and, and it's one of the things that I've heard in pre-season is that Morata may start... Um, left of a three with Batshuayi up front. And, you know, also, as Jonathan said, you know, Eden Hazard missing as well. Chelsea have problems. They really do have problems. Yeah, I think I, I think playing Murata on the left side is one way to ensure that he gets off to a bad start. So I hope that doesn't happen to him. But, Jonathan, the, I mean, Arsenal's, uh, you know, er, well, everyone's kind of lineup for the season has, has yet to be finalised. Uh, Alexis Sanchez was there. Um, uh, mainly just watching the game, came onto the pitch afterwards uh, and was waving to the fans, waving a lot, did a lot of waving. I mean, what kind of waves were they? Uh, what do you think is happening? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is happening with him? Is he Was he waving goodbye to those fans he, he loved so much or was he simply acknowledging them and saying, I can't wait to play for you guys again? I mean, I've done the semiotics of Conte's tracksuit. I think doing a semiotics of waving as well is probably a bit too much. I've got no idea. I mean, it, that whole situation seems bizarre. The, the fact that that and Ozil, on, and, and Oxley Chamberlain as well, is going at last year of his contract, that's not resolved. So the fact that Arsenal have allowed that to drag on, I, I find bewildering. And, you know, Wenger sort of said with a sort of half smile yesterday, oh, I think a, a lot of the uncertainty last season was to do with my situation. Maybe I got that wrong. Yeah, you got it wrong, and you're getting it wrong with this as well. You, you cannot go into the season with you know three major players, and I think Oxley Chamberlain actually looks good in that left-sided role. Um, I think I thought he did in the cup final as well. I mean, he, you know, he, he essentially got Victor Moses sent off in the cup final by by um, tormenting him. Uh, you know, I thought he had another decent game yesterday. Um, the three kind of pretty important players. In fact, you don't know in August whether they're going to be here. Um, in September. Well, he does know, according to his own comments, Jonathan, he said, for the 279th time or something like that, I tell you, he, in Sanchez, is going to stay. Yeah, but, um, I don't know, would they really risk losing him on a free at the end of the season? That that seems, I don't don't even know which is better, to to have him, even if he's motivated, even if he, you know, plays well for, for the season, would you rather have that and lose him for free, or would you rather have the you know thirty, forty million, whatever you get for selling him now? I, I, 
I don't know. Everything just seems. Yeah, they should never go in a position where where. I mean, I think it was five players, wasn't it, towards the end of last season? Uh, five sort of regular first team players were going into the last year of the contract without certainty. That just seems profound mismanagement to me. I think, yeah, I can see how it could happen with one or two players that, you know, circumstances always can always change and, and, and you know, the, the process of negotiation is never clear cut. But for five players plus your manager to get in that situation, I think is very, very um, dangerous. So if Arsenal are showing these signs of mismanagement and there's still a bit of uncertainty and Chelsea you know, evidently have, have some work to do just to get back to where they were, who are your favourites for uh, the forthcoming Premier League season? I'm going to say Manchester City. And, and I think the season should be about Manchester City winning the league. And if Manchester City don't win the league, it should be about the fact that Manchester City have not won the league because they have the best squad. Uh, they have also ostensibly the best manager and, and if you think about it, uh, Pep Guardiola, two years in, not winning the title would be one hell of a story. But, you know, look at the talent they've got. I think Edison might be the uh, answer to their goalkeeping problem. They should win the league. In fact, they they probably should breeze the league. That easy, Jonathan, you reckon? I mean, yeah, I broadly agree with that. I think, I think City ought to win it. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to be a breeze, but I, I would say they have the best score. You, you worry that they've bought too many players in, in one go, which can obviously cause problems. Uh, Arsene Wenger said yesterday he thought there were 10 teams could win the league and then sort of obviously saw a few raised eyebrows and reduced after seven or eight. Conte said there were six. So that's a pretty brutal snub from Conte to Everton, I, su- I suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was actually, I was, um, you know, we would go into the Premier League race night later this week where you have to um, make a list of your, your 20 teams in order. And so I was sort of um, drawing up my, my provisional list this morning and the first name I think in was, was Everton in seventh. I think that's the one position you can be absolutely certain they will finish seventh. But they were eight points off sixth, I think 15 off eighth last season. And they've really cemented that with their signings this summer. So, yeah, I think there's, you'd say, City, United, Chelsea, probably are the, you know, the, the three favourite favourites with Spurs, Arsenal and um, Liverpool yeah, having a decent chance. Okay. But, yeah. Probably City main favours, and then United. You know this fact that Mourinho always wins the league in the second season. You know there's a reason for that. That's that's uh, that's not coincidence. It's, I, he's very good at analysing a squad, at finding where the gaps are, at filling those gaps. And I think that you know three times he'll strengthen the squad, strengthen the spine uh, this season. Um, you know, and then his abrasiveness kicks in in the third year, and every sort of you know, loses a bit of bit of interest and a bit of morale. Whether he's still got it, that's that's the question. Um, but you know he he remains a, a very good manager. He's very good at seeing weaknesses in his side. So hopefully this is the year when we get that that huge showdown between Guardiola and Mourinho in Manchester. I can't understand why you're so dismissive of Tottenham. I mean, you didn't mention them. I mean, you know, City, United, Chelsea. Um, you know, Tottenham finished ahead of two of those teams last season, and, and we we've been talking about all the problems that Chelsea have, whereas Tottenham have have held on to their important players, and we still don't know who they're going to bring in, but. I mean, I made the same mistake with Tottenham last year in that after they finished second behind Leicester, I thought that had... Or actually, they ended up finishing third, of course. But, you know, they, they'd been so good and then had kind of failed that I thought they were going to maybe struggle. And that didn't happen at all. They they were better again last season. I don't see why they shouldn't be considered probably the main rivals to, to Manchester City. They're the, they're the team with with the actual form. They're the team with the proven quality who have shown that they're able to, you know, get 80, 80 something points, which is what you're going to need to win the league. So why, why does nobody um, mention this? 
Is it well, Wembley? I mean, I you're right. I mean, I hope, I hope Tottenham do kick on, and that the development does continue as you know as as Pochettino presumably plans it to. Um, I think my concerns are twofold. One is playing at Wembley, um, which you know I don't really believe in this sort of Tottenham have a problem playing at Wembley, but I do think it's not going to. Those home games are not going to be like home games at White Hart Lane. You know, the, the, the home advantage is a lesser factor there. Uh, and also, I think their squad was pretty slim last season, and it's now slim because Carl Walker's gone. So, you know, maybe they're bringing a couple of players in August. I, I don't know. But I, I just worry about that squad competing in the Premier League and the Champions League. Does it have the depth? I think they've been very fortunate with injuries. I mean, Caleb Mellor's been pretty much out for a season and a half now. But the fact that Harry Kane's, you know, when he's been injured, he's come back quickly, but hasn't had many injuries. I think when he's not there, they're, they're, they're really short. So I just worry about the size of that squad plus plus the Wembley factor. But yeah, I, I really hope that that uh, a team that is sort of trying to build a squad in sort of an old-fashioned way, I'd like to believe that's still the way you win titles. But I, I worry it's not quite enough. John, you mentioned Wembley there as well. I mean, they're not being asked to play on the old Kenilworth Road plastic pitch here. You know, they're playing at Wembley Stadium. It can't be that much of a factor. I, I think I think you reverse it around a, a little bit and say how much of a factor White Hart Lane was for them last season. Their, their, their home record last season was outstanding, easily the best. Um, there's one there's one snippet I heard a while back, which was that um, the, the size of the pitch uh, is a problem for Spurs, uh, which is that um, uh, Pochettino is such a rigid planner that they're used to being in. That they could sort of gauge where they're supposed to be on the pitch, you know, the, 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 the moves that they do defensively and often in an attacking sense as well, but certainly more defensively. Um, and then they, they, they actually asked Wembley if they could alter the size of the pitch and were refused that, which uh, is considered, you know, which, which may be a drawback to them. I think, I think there, there are other things there. I mean, you know, we talked about Conte's problems with his squad, maybe Arsene Wenger. In another way, but Pochettino doesn't seem too happy with the fact the club haven't brought in any players just yet. Um, I mean, obviously they lost Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. You know, picked up an injury over the weekend. My observation of watching Kieran Trippier is every time I watch him, he seems to get hurt. You know, he's, he's one of these players that throws himself into tackles and stuff like that, and comes off second second best. So a bit of a risk having him as your essentially only senior right back. Um, I think I think I think Jonathan's right to say that Wembley shouldn't be as big a factor as as maybe people are, are making out. And the other thing you've got to flip it around again and to say that you know other teams playing at Wembley, it might not be so easy for um, for clubs. You know the, the likes of Watford, Crystal Palace, or whatever go, going to play there. It's it's a difficult ground to play on. That's what you tend to hear from uh, the pros. So I, th- I, th- I think that the Wembley thing is something that's going to hold back. Tottenham, but I, I'd say the squad aspects is something that would trouble me a little more than that. All right, we're almost there, guys. A few days away. Thanks very much. Cheers. I knew the place. Clough, but he called me Rabbi. Didn't know them. He said to me, What can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. There's no way to win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've we're got. We've only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, that he calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now, that may 
and that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. I'm just looking up Hans Peter Briegel's Catalan career here, Kevin. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I haven't had much time to look, so it's, it's just Wikipedia. It tells me one of the most popular German players in his days, Hans-Peter Briegel's original sport was athletics, being successful in various events, such as long jump, personal best, 7 metres, 50 centimetres, triple jump, and specifically in pentathlon. Mm. Pentathlon. Well, anyway, Briegel gained his best result as an athlete in decathlon, but the son of a farmer struggled to compete properly in javelin throw and the high jump. So at the age of 17, he left athletics behind him, playing club football with his hometown side, SV Rodenbach, near Kaiserslautern. Yeah. I remember he was the manager of Albania when Ireland played them uh, back in 2002, 2003. Uh, yeah. uh, he uh, he looks a bit like the uh, one of the bad the bad guy in in uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, you know, <laughs> there's a character who looks a bit like him, um, uh, a scary looking man, but a very pleasant man. It's interesting that the farmer strength propelled him through many of the events. Yeah, it got him up over that, it got him up on that pole vault, for example. It got him around the track, but it just couldn't quite. There was just too much technique involved in the javelin throw and the high jump. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what held him back according to Wikipedia it's a funny one there. is it a problem everything. as Jonathan says that Antonio Conte was wearing a tracksuit it often is, when normally besuited managers start wearing tracksuits and whatever about Mourinho there was also Rafa Benitez back in the day I'm not sure if I'm not sure if he always was I mean when well Benitez did it was just well, Benitez was very obviously taking a piss I mean his tracksuit was was like five sizes too big like he was he was walking around, he looked like a kid like a young child that that had put on like one of its parents' tracksuits and was walking around with like long sleeves, uh, sort of trailing off the end of his hands and like walking around the house like this. That was what Benitez turned up in the touchline, like at at St James Park, and also had done a press conference where he just repeated the line, "I am focused on training and coaching my team," in response to basically every question. So he couldn't have made it more obvious that this is part of a protest. But yeah, I mean Conte. I think I've seen Conte. I mean, I've seen him, it's certainly there were a couple of matches last season where he was wearing like a baseball cap and puffer jacket. Mm. You know what I mean? He wasn't always necessarily uh, like wearing in sort of um, James Bond casino wear. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he mixes it up a bit and maybe it was a warm day and I don't, I don't know. But yeah, there is... The title defense isn't creaking just yet because of the tracksuit. I don't think the title defense is looking good at all. No. I mean, it's a difficult league to win. And another point that Neil Atkinson from Anfield Rap made is no one has retained the Premier League in a long time. You know, it's not a, it's it seems to change year on year. It's difficult for a team to do it two years in a row. Chelsea have, you know, Costa's gone, Matic is gone, Hazard is injured, and you know maybe maybe going to play for somebody else. Who knows? You know, that's a lot, that's a lot of big players there to to have uh, to have lost. So um, at the moment, I, I don't think they look like likely title winners at all. Enjoy the rest of your Bank Holiday Monday, if it is a Bank Holiday where you're listening. This is our only show today. Our first GA programme of the week will be tomorrow. That's Tuesday on the World Service. I'd imagine there'll be a lot of Joe Canning talk there after his heroics at Croke Park yesterday. And of course, the Roscommon Mayo game, which uh, at the moment I don't know the result of because it hasn't finished as we record. Don't forget about our massive Cadbury Premier League night this week with Robbie Fowler among a bunch of massive Premier League names. That is on Wednesday night and will be available to all as a podcast on Thursday. So loads of great stuff going on this week. In the meantime, thanks Ken. Thank you, Owen. And thank you for listening as always. 
Who's that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.